Dreams are amazing because they are, they're not only the blueprint of our subconscious realms that give us sort of like the poetry of our soul. There's a lot there to unpack. They're also experiences of consciousness. You are listening to the Lifetonic Podcast, your resource for intentional living and personal growth. This podcast is designed to inspire and motivate you to be your most glowingly brilliant self. Alongside inspiring leaders, industry experts, healers, visionaries, and disruptors, we will explore alternative health and wisdom that expand our definition of self, as well as the many nuances of what it means to thrive in our bodies and minds. I'm your host, Joanna O, and I'm grateful for you tuning in today. So hello, Tree, and welcome to the Lifetonic Podcast. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for joining me today in what I think is going to be a really interesting conversation. A little intro before I pass the mic over to you. Tree Carr is a published author working in the esoteric realms of dreams, death, and divination. Central to her work is the exploration of mysticism and transpersonal experiences of consciousness. Her deep intuition, clairvoyance, and mediumship abilities have helped people worldwide, as has her incredibly insightful tarot guidance. And through precognitive dreaming, she has predicted things like the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, the Australian drought and devastation 2019, and the virus pandemic, which is very much relevant of the now of COVID-19. Her tarot readings have accurately predicted a multitude of situations for clients, most recently the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. I'm probably going to ask some questions about that. You're also a certified death doula, which you'll tell us all about. And her work as an end-of-life guide involves helping people spiritually, emotionally, existentially, practically at the end of their lives, something we will learn about in today's episode. So welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about talking to all these things because they're things that I'm passionate about. So that's easy enough, huh? (laughs) To talk about things you're passionate about. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. And I think these are themes that specifically, well, dreams I've never really touched on on this podcast and kind of sleep and what we'll talk about today. And then, of course, death, which sounds really grim, but it's actually not in your work. That's not how I perceive it at all. So I'm really interested for you to tell me where did it all start for you and how did you discover your gift that that was your passion? Yeah. So I never thought that dreaming was necessarily a gift. I think I I just kind of had these experiences as a child and thought that everybody else had them, particularly the experiences of lucid dreaming and and out of body states. And some of my earliest memories as a child were of lucid dreams that I had or liminal states where it felt as though I was out of body. And that just set me up for, I guess, a lifetime of, of exploration with that. I had the advantage of being, when I was really little, in my formative years of living on a commune. And that really, I think, helped to set the foundation for everything that I moved into further into my life, mostly because I grew up without television and without pop culture. 
So I didn't have the external worlds of distraction and I was able to be deeply connected with nature, play outside until the sun went down and just had a real sense of of freedom um, and creativity. So, you know, I think because of that setup, I was very much present as a child. I had a good access to my inner worlds and my dreams were just really vivid and really tangible. And then when I grew up, I when I was I was growing as a dreamer as well, my dreams started to take different forms um, when I was a teenager. And that's when I started to experience precognition in the dream state. So having a dream about an event and then that event happening um, a little time later, sometimes it was the next day, sometimes it would be a couple weeks later or a couple months later. And so that started to make me very interested in the nature of reality because I was thinking, how is it possible that I experienced this dream of a car hitting the front of my house, the tree in the front of my house? And I heard it and I felt it and I woke up from the dream and saw it out the window. And then the next morning, being at the breakfast table with my family and then hearing the same sound and we all ran outside and sure enough, a car had hit the front of our uh, front lawn of the tree in the front lawn. So these things made me start to question the nature of reality because they were so real and they were so in real time as in I was so present and aware when they were happening. Uh, So I just delved into the esoteric basically as a teenager because that seemed to be the only thing that seemed to answer the questions or was up for exploring it because even though I'm very much a realist in many ways and that might sound surprising um, I do have one foot firmly in you know this material reality and science I do take very seriously but I couldn't find any answers really in the scientific realms when it came to what I was experiencing so I would just go to the library this is like in the in the late late 80s so it was before the internet and before anything that was, you know, online. And so I would just do it the old fashioned way. I was just in, in library reading as much as I could on these sort of experiences, transpersonal spirit experiences. I guess some people would say paranormal experiences and also esoteric subjects as well, like divination and astrology and and the tarot. So these became kind of like my go-tos as a teenager. Wow. That's, there's so much in there that kind of resonated with a part of me, like parts of your childhood where you talk about being in your own company because there wasn't to some degree the distractions that we have today, that children have today. So it's mm-hmm. really this reliance on your inner world, which is really beautiful and I think makes for parts of the nature that then becomes the explorative side of you. But I didn't want to go into this really deep question straight away (laughs) but you kind of prompted it with your story and talking about precognitive dreams I've talked about the sort of 360 view that you have of your consciousness meaning that everything is blended into one if you will like you know realistically in your mind the past the present and the future or your subconscious knows and so to some degree you always know what's next, what's going to happen. And yet some people can access that and other people can't. How, yeah. how do you see that? Yeah, I see it uh, quite similar to you as like this sort of blending. And it takes a, a sort of different view of how you uh, view time, basically. So I don't really see time as linear when it comes to precognition. And I see time as more of a column. 
So if you can imagine yourself sitting in the middle of this sort of column of time, and it's above you and all around you. And when you have a precognitive hit, it's as, all, it's as though you are accessing a layer of the column. Everything that is happening throughout our time and throughout history is actually in this column happening now. Mm-hmm. In this sort of column of time that it's all happening now. When you get into med- meditative state, so you can access this you know, through the dream state, which it comes arbitrarily sometimes where you're just getting a a piece of information and you wake up and you feel like that was a piece of information. I better write that down. But then you can access it as well, just through states of of meditation. And I just said what I call tuning in. And so it's almost as though, yeah, sitting in a column of time and then you retrieve it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it can really trip up the head in a way it's like what how what do you mean it's all happening now like how is ancient rome happening now how is the sumerian yeah. times of the sumerians happening now it boggles the mind so you kind of have to rejig your construct of the nature of reality in a way especially when it comes to the construct of time of course this would go against what modern science would would say time is but there's a lot of things that are moving forward quite quickly when it comes to how we view these things, especially with the the feats of science when it comes to quantum mechanics and string theory. So possibly and probably science will catch up to a lot of these things that human beings are doing, like remote viewing or precognition. And um, I just think, I just see them as very human things. You know, I think these are abilities that we all have that we they're just sensitivities really it's just accessing parts of ourselves that might lay dormant we're not we live in a society in a world where we don't you know value those things we don't value the inner worlds we don't value presence or silence within oneself everything is externalized but i do think that we can all do it basically i I don't really consider it a gift or anything i just see it as um is a part of the human experience and it's something we can all access. Yeah, and I guess you're right. It's it's within all of us and sometimes it's just, you know, you're more tapped in maybe because you're able to have those experiences or you dedicate more time to those experiences. But I mean, the underlying theme here being really that we are so disconnected from just inner understanding of ourselves. I mean, that's just like a like a general thing. It's interesting you said that a lot of what we see a lot of the world is externalized because actually I I was just talking about this today funnily enough how much of if you think about the past like 20 30 years and you know we're going back to this man-made idea of time but everything in our attention is so externalized and I think with what's happened since the beginning of sort of 2020 for a lot of people it's given them that chance to actually internalize to look within as opposed to always everything being outside of themselves like distractions and whatnot yeah the pandemic's been extraordinary in that sense that we are now forced to go inwards and we are forced to sit with ourselves and be silent almost and to have stillness. And it's something that we're not used to living in the modern industrialized global world that we're in now. You know, everything is just racing, racing, going, going, high achieving. And we, we stop we've, we've stopped now <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's difficult for some 
For some people, their dreams have been really weird uh, or they, you know, things have risen to the surface. Maybe old traumas have surfaced now. It's a really great chance for us to to take the time to to heal, to be present, to listen to our bodies, to listen to our consciousness and to, you know, reconnect in some kind of way. Maybe this is a really great way or chance to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of us have found ourselves in that space and actually getting to think about things that maybe I hadn't thought about for the longest time. And of course, a lot of people talking about troubled sleep. The subconscious mind is almost, I like to think of as like a camcoder that's always, that sounded very retro, but like (laughs) always in the back of your mind recording and you know, we said everything's happening in the now, but your subconscious, your soul is always watching, right? So it's just recording everything. And how that comes to the surface is really what's so fascinating. So what can you tell us about just dreams and how can we heal through dreams and dream realms and navigating this experience that we spend so much time doing? Yeah, so really great questions and really apropos too, because people are really feeling a lot more activated with their dreams because of of the pandemic. And dreams are amazing because they are they're not only the blueprint of our subconscious realms that give us sort of like the poetry of our soul. There's a lot there to unpack. They're also experiences of consciousness. So consciousness itself is the act of perceiving. It's it's all of our senses computing and uh, perceiving our reality. So this is, and that doesn't stop just because we fall asleep. We can still experience consciousness. Our consciousness can can perceive an experience in other states, in altered states. It can be in trance states. It can be dreams. It can be in psychedelic states. And so I see dreams as being states of consciousness and they're not something that should be shrugged away. Um, They're not just junk data of residual imagery that you're processing. I really truly believe that they are you experiencing something. Now, whether it's something that is real in another dimension, or if it's just a figment of your imagination, it's a projection. To me, it's still valid because it's still an experience. You know, when we've all been children, we've had nightmares and we've run up to our parents and said, oh, I'm so scared. I had a nightmare of a monster coming out and trying to get me. And most parents just say, don't worry about it. It's not true. It wasn't real. It's not real. And as a child, you feel kind of like, well, no, that felt real. That was real. I really felt like I experienced that. Like your your consciousness had experienced something. And so I think it's still valid to say that dreams are important Mm -hmm. just because they're not, they don't fall within the realm of the construct of waking reality. I still see them as very powerful and very valid. So we can, we can work with the dreams, especially if we, if, if we approach them through that lens, that this is me having an experience. Um, sure. It could feel like it's kind of like a psychedelic experience because it's not something that's actually tangible or real in our waking reality, but still there's a lot that you can gain from it. So dreams can be like transpersonal, 100%, especially when you start becoming more present within the dream itself. So as a lucid dreamer, this is when you have 100% uh, conscious 
presence and you're consciously aware within the dream state. So you're able to know that I, oh, wow, I'm in a dream. This is, I'm fully aware that I'm in a dream. I'm, I'm fully aware that I can go over there and walk towards that mountain. I'm fully aware I can go talk to that dream character over there. So as a, as a dreamer and you're working towards, you know, basically embracing your consciousness, you can get to the point where you become completely conscious and aware within the dream state itself. So you can really get some interesting uh, experiences or work done when you become a fully lucid dreamer. But even with our seemingly normal dreams, like, you know, our anxiety dreams or our recurring dreams, our nightmares, or even just our boring compensatory dreams, these are all there to give you some guidance. So you can still consciously work with them even when you've woken up by writing them down and allowing yourself to start to create like a map, so to speak, of your dreams, of your dreaming experiences. And then you can start to, you know, reflect upon them and see that there could be common threads that weave throughout them that can help you in your waking life. You might have also repeat symbols that, that you can start working with as well. So I see it all as under the umbrella of consciousness. And it's a tremendous time to, to get some work done while you're asleep. And it's also a different language too. So sometimes we can almost glean more from a dream when it comes to the symbolic nature of it than we can from something just sitting in front of our face while we're awake. Yeah. <laughs> it gets our attention. It gets our attention. So true. And there's so many, obviously, theories because a lot of how the information that's communicated to you in your dreams, I guess, can be described as symbolic. And so we enter into a whole different topic on symbolic dream interpretation and what different symbolism can be found in dreams. But it is true that sometimes you would go through a, like an experience in your waking life and keep seeing the same thing. And then it only makes sense when you dream about it. I I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah, isn't it funny? It's, it's funny how we will miss these little prompts and cues in our waking times. And this is the beautiful thing about starting to work with your conscious awareness and consciousness itself is that we miss out the value in our waking time a lot. So as part of being a lucid dreamer is, is also being someone who lives lucidly as well. So the more conscious and aware and present you are in your waking times, the, the more chances you have of being that way in your dream time as well. And then it gets to the point where both, I guess, realms, if you want to use that word, um, are just as equally as rich. Um, in a way, it makes you wake up to reality a lot more too, your waking reality, and just really be with the present moment and the amazing things that we have here. You start to also listen to the synchronicities a lot more. You start seeing them in, more in your waking time and you start paying attention you go, okay, there's, there's some sort of rhythm to this thing called life, this thing called being a consciousness that's within a, you know, a mortal body here. It just opens things up, opens things up tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously easier said than done when we talk about lucid dreaming. I speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people are curious to find out about it, but I 
actually, funnily enough, I guess a few years back was like really into trying to, because it is an art and it takes practice, just like, you know, meditating can look so many different ways for different people. It's just a very personal experience. But for me, it resulted in having a sleep paralysis experience that was actually really scary. And that kind of put me off for the longest time. <laughs> yeah, sleep paralysis can be really terrifying. It's like having your own personal horror film happening in your bedroom. And I always guide dreamers through the practice of overcoming fear of sleep paralysis. And I do truly think that sleep paralysis is almost like kind of like an initiation of sorts. If you can if you can move past and beyond the fear of the experience, there's so much on the other side. So it's like it's incredible what what you can experience as soon as you start to relax into it a little bit. It's such a liminal threshold. So a lot of people are able to use sleep paralysis as a segue into the out-of-body experience. Also just going straight into a lucid dream as well. But yeah, it's a bit like having a panic attack, you know, with a panic attack, mm -hmm. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy can really help bring in a mind of neutrality and get a person out of the panic. Well, with the sleep paralysis situation, it's kind of a similar thing when we don't feed into the fear of the sensations and the phenomenon that we're experiencing, we're able to move beyond the fear. So if you take control of your, um, your fear and you, you move your intention to change it, it often will change. So you can just will yourself uh, to leave your body or will yourself to just go into a different place and carry on the experience in a different, in a different way altogether. Yeah, that made me think of like an interesting sort of imagery, I guess it was almost like the guardian. And then you have to go through like a dark tunnel in a train to get to the other side. <laughs> well, it's funny, right? Because a lot of the, uh, you know, initiatory books, like uh, the Tibetan book of the dead and the Egyptian book of the dead, there's all of these like trials, you know, to go through um, for the soul or to, to go through uh, after death and they always come across like these you know creepy monsters or gods and they have to push through the fear and push through the initiatory experience yeah so I kind of see like sleep paralysis a little bit like that in some kind of ways is like you know the, a, a layer of fear to move through um, for your consciousness to experience something different that's beyond the body yeah yeah, it's funny because when that happened to me and that kind of ties into the next thing that I want to ask you, I remember Googling this because I had like zero idea. I was quite young. I had zero idea what had happened to me and Googling it, it was just a mix of things between like the creepy, I'm sure you've seen this painting that's like the dreaming girl or something and it's got like these demons and stuff around her very much like what you just described this imagery that in historical depiction of dreams but there was that and then literally zero information uh close to zero and it just sh goes to show how much of it is kind of taboo in a way but at the same time throughout history we've been looking at the meaning in our dreams and using them for intuitive guidance and yeah we have a long history of dreaming ever since uh, humanity has been 
here on the planet we've dreams and we've got countless uh, ancient historical records of dreams through various cultures and belief systems from ancient India through to Judaism. There's texts that exist that point towards dreams as being important. And even some of the more um, revelational, revolutionary kind of uh, feats of science and creativity as well. A lot of them were conceived in dream states or liminal states as well. So yeah, we've, we seem to have taken dreams more seriously in the past. Um, there were literally seers that were consulted by kings and leaders and to help them uh, interpret their dreams. Mm-hmm. And they would listen to it, you know, they would make their decisions on it, like where they would you know, which country they would invade or when they should build a temple. Like these things have been coming through in the dream states for thousands of years. And why do, why have we, we, we lost contact with that? Um, We, as we've pushed through into the modern age, it seems as though we have, Um, I think through the rapid industrialization of our societies and of our world it's like i said it's uh everything became externalized so there was a real um disconnect from ourselves also our sleep cycles because a lot of us went to work Mm -hmm. um out of the fields into the factories um and also a disconnection from nature so many of us have were moved into cities into totally different ways of living and we lost the cycles of nature we lost our connection with nature So I do think that our ancient dreamer within is really connected very much symbiotically to this world, to to Mother Earth, to the natural realm, to plants, to animals, to uh, natural surroundings, and also deeply connected to the collective unconscious, which is uh, the, the connectivity to all sentient beings on the planet as well. So I do think that we we've caused a rift for ourselves as we've as we've become more and more advanced mm-hmm. as a civilization, but we've become you know so techn- technologically advanced. But more than ever, we're we, we're experiencing alienation, isolation, depression, anxiety, and all these things that just have a really simple base note of a cure, which is just having more presence and more connectivity to oneself and to that which is greater, that which is the planet. So I think dreams hopefully are coming back, (laughs) back in fashion. I don't know if that's what to say. It's not even back in fashion. It's just like dreams are like our innate human birthright. Like, and I can't believe people don't talk about them more because we all have them. Like all of us have them. So it's just interesting that they're not considered (laughs) more important um, and that people aren't talking about them more. Um, I really do think as we evolve, because, you know, we're evolving biologically, I also think we're evolving, our consciousness is evolving as well. So I do believe that if we keep exploring and pushing the envelope, future humans, like, you know, 300 years from now, all of their dreams could be lucid dreams. Mm -hmm. So every time they go to sleep at night, they're fully present, they're fully conscious, and they're fully aware. So I do think that there's like, if if we get really good at this, and we keep exploring and evolving, then possibly future humans could be 
100% lucid dreamers all the time. What a world. That's that just my theory. Though. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. No, I completely agree. I think, of course, they can enable deeper connectivity. And I mean, without stemming too far from what you said, but also because we're talking about death today, my father actually had been well shared with me quite recently that he had been practicing lucid dreaming for like, I don't know how many years before he actually told me this. And to the point where he was able to enter that state of consciousness and he now knows when he's going to die. And he's sort of been told this information. And so even now during COVID and this whole situation, he had COVID twice and was like, I'm just not worried because I know I'm not going to (laughs) die. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Which is so fascinating that you can sort of, it just seems so far-fetched that you could connect to yourself in that way where your body is able to give you this information. I'm obviously not there yet, but, you know, hopefully in the future. Yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you said about lucid dreaming and, of course, um, astral projection. What's the difference between those experiences? Yeah, so astral projection or otherwise known as the out-of-body experience is different in the sense that there is a tangible disconnect of your consciousness from your body when you're in the liminal state. And you can really very much perceive the room uh, in real time. And often the person having the experience can see their sleeping body in the bed below them. And it's very different from a lucid dream because you're very much in in the room and there is, there's nothing very dreamlike happening in the construct of reality of your room. And this would be called uh, the astroplane and this would be the, the area in which you've entered. A lucid dream and many lucid dreamers feel this way that a lucid dream feels like it's almost um, multidimensional and it's, it's not near to the earth plane as a astral experience. And I think that, that that would be technically the difference between the two. Yeah, You're very aware of, of your environment, of your room, uh, touching the walls, passing through the window. And so it's, it's very different than a lucid dream. So you're basically, in a way, in your work, I guess, as a dream guide, you're able to direct people towards either or. <laughs> so I typically um, guide people through their dream realms, so everything that they're having when they're asleep. But I also um, encourage people to experiment on the liminal states just before they fall asleep and just as they're waking up, which are known as the hypnagogic state and the hypnopompic state. And those are this, those liminal thresholds is usually when you can access an out-of-body experience. You can also access it going straight into a lucid dream from those experiences. So um, it's really mostly dream work um, and lucid dreaming that I guide people with. But it's funny because I have uh, like a friend of mine, Jade Shaw. She's like a, um, an out-of-body experience teacher. We've done several retreats together where we, we combine both practices so that she could, she shows people how they can do different techniques to detach from their bodies and have 
experiences beyond their body, like in the room within the, the, the spaces that they're in, and also what to experiment on in the astral plane, different things, how to make a portal, um, moving through mirrors um, as a way of traveling, um, lots of different fun stuff like that. <laughs> so fascinating. We very much in inception territory. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it gets really wild, especially when you start getting into mutual dreaming and shared dreaming. Oh wow! Where you can share dream space with another person, have experience the same dream as another person. It's kind of like a form of dream telepathy. Perhaps it's mere coincidence or quantum entanglement. You know, again, these things aren't scientifically studied, so. Um, does it stop me yeah. from, <laughs> from, from still going to do it? Because I figure like, why not? Like, this is, this is exciting. So definitely had shared dreams, mutual dreaming with other people. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really, that, that's kind of lately been my focus on top of lucid dreaming and all the other things is, is showing people how to mutual dream. That's amazing. I think that must've happened to me before like with a family member that I spent a lot of time with and it would just accidentally happen and I guess you never really question because like you said people are like oh tell me another dream (laughs) (laughs) I know it's so and it usually is around people who in close close connections so you see it a lot with couples or family members but I've, I've had it with people on retreats where you know I've I'm not. I'm not particularly close to any of the retreat, retreat attendees, and I've experienced it. So amazing! Yeah, it's very mysterious. <laughs> so exciting! I can't believe. Well, I'd be very interested in in the science behind that, and I'm sure we'll get there. It's probably just not a priority. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, there's uh, money to be had making uh, bombs and missiles, right? Yeah. So why would we want to spend it on? <laughs> spend it on uh, some dream freaks who are like I can go into some other person's dream why would you want to empower people (laughs) no that's that's so fascinating well I want to ask about well so many things but you put it so nicely that we were talking about the connection the connection we had to ourselves and to earth and to plants and nature and all these things that kind of also permeate our dream experiences to some degree. But in your work, you also talk about dreaming herbs and plants. And I sent a note to you to say you you inspired me way before I reached out to you and we got to connect about um, Blue Lotus. And I was like, have had like like a frenzy for the longest time reading about it and telling people about it. So I guess for someone who's completely new to this and you touched also, which is quite interesting on the psychedelic aspect of it, which is, I guess, a bit of a separate conversation, but for someone completely new to this, how can herbs and plants and other enhancers of nature and beautiful things like that, how can they support us in, I guess, in dreams, but in altered states of consciousness? Yeah. So plants and oh I love them they're they're amazing and we don't give them enough credit Mm -hmm. (laughs) we really don't so I think that the way of I like to approach uh working with herbs and plants and plant work is seeing them as allies and seeing them as part of consciousness as well so 
you know, and that might sound mad to some people. Um, but when you approach plant work in terms of, okay, I'm working with something that has its own codes and its own consciousness, it makes you honor it a lot more, uh, you know, and that's back to the disconnection. We use plants every single day and we don't even know it. And many of us abuse plants every single day and we don't even know it from our cups of coffee and multiple coffees during the day <laughs> to like our weed habit at night. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's plant, there's loads of plants that we, that we end up, you know, being so reliant on, but disconnected from. So part of it is, is kind of changing up your view of how you view nature and coming back to it. So reconnecting to it in a way where you're present with the plant itself. So you're like, okay, hey, little plant teacher, what are you going to show me tonight? And so the plants that I work with are uh, Winirogens, which means that they're dreaming plants and herbs. And they're plants and herbs and flowers and roots that all activate your dream realms. So many of them can bring about more vivid dream states or the liminal states are more vivid. Many of them are not psychoactive. That means you won't get any sort of altered state while you're awake. Some of them are like the blue lotus flower that, that, <laughs> that you knew yeah. about. And that, that definitely can give you an altered state of reality while you're awake. And so I find that working with plants, it, again, this goes back to, you know, the ancient dreamer within us, it, it being part of us, part of our birthright. I feel like plants are the same thing. So they're part of our symbiotic relationship of being human beings on this planet. And so we work with them in order to open up different states of consciousness for ourselves. So we could do that through Winirogens, which activate our dream realms, or we could do it with Enthogens that give us psychedelic experiences and seem to open up our consciousness to heightened states. And it's helpful because we come out of the experiences with something to learn. And these plants that help us dream are, are really curious in the sense that we can wake up from some very profound dreaming experiences. Some of them can be lucid states within the dream. Some of them can be out-of-body states. So again, it's like this reconnection back to nature and back to the inner worlds um, and the collective unconscious. It's, it's all part of that. So it's like when you consume a plant, you are its properties or its essence or its consciousness is, is opening up your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So they're little guides, they're little teachers. And, and then on, sci on a scientific level, you can say, well, these are the act active compounds that are cr creating these experiences. But who's not to say that even like compounds that are interacting with us and opening something else, like, of course, that's science, but could that not be some kind of gateway to consciousness through that scientific exchange, you know, through that exchange? Yeah, I mean, I think it for me it always comes back to consciousness, the hard problem of consciousness. What is it? Um, you know, because we live in a material reductionist world, we want to look at the biological. We want to look at you know figuring everything out down, 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 down to the smallest little you know particle or atom or cell. And with consciousness, we don't even know what it is. 
You know, we, we're still figuring it out. We're still figuring it out. It, where does it exist? Is it in the brain? Is it, is, is it tangible? Is it got matter to it? Does it exist outside of the brain? Is it something that enters at birth? There's so many hard, hard problems with consciousness. So I, I, for me, that's, that's what I want to explore. I want to explore that. So when it comes to the plant realms, I see it as part of it. I see them as part of consciousness exploration because they themselves, I feel, hold an aspect of it or a key or a gateway to it. That's so beautifully said. It's true and it's fascinating and beautiful that we can have those tools that enable us to, if at least a, a little, little part of our consciousness can expand as a result. I think that's 